0: Well, imagine that you've finally found the time to schedule coffee with one of your closest friends. It's been a while since you've both had a chance to debrief with one another about your life. And so you grab your vanilla latte, find a seat, and take a deep breath. It's actually the first breath you've paid attention to in weeks. You look across the table as your friend begins the conversation with this question. How are you? What do you say? What's the first word that comes out of your mouth? I bet I can guess that word for most of you. Busy. Oh, I'm good, just busy. Things are crazy right now. It's a response that you'll hear from all sorts of people. College students are busy young parents are busy professionals are busy empty nesters are busy even retired folks say to me i had no idea just how busy retirement would be our calendars are overcrowded our our margins thin and our to-do list are always on the move outpacing our production We are a busy people who live in a busy, busy world. Now, I don't mean to suggest that there's anything wrong with being busy. Even Jesus was busy. That's part of what we're meant to feel in this opening chapter of Mark's gospel. That when Jesus finally goes public with the good news that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, well, that's when things get busy for Jesus. He's busy recruiting others to follow him. He's busy teaching in synagogues. He's busy casting out unclean spirits. He's busy healing those with various diseases, all of which and more occur right here in Mark chapter 1. And the way Mark links all these episodes together only reinforces this sense of busyness for in between these stories he offers little to no commentary instead he just connects these events with one snappy conjunction after another and this happened then he left immediately it occurred which by the way is one of Mark's favorite words immediately used around 40 times in his gospel and so we read immediately this or that happens and then immediately someone comes to jesus and then Im- immediately he moves on to the next town immediately immediately it feels so familiar doesn't it just like you just like me jesus is busy and so no the problem is not so much in being busy the problem is when our busyness hinders us from what should be our primary activity. Tending to our life with God. Or more specifically, our inner life with God. The busyness of our outer lives is really good at keeping us from paying attention to what is going on in our souls, in our spirits even, and perhaps especially, when you're busy going about doing good. The Franciscan priest and best-selling author Richard Rohr understands this danger. Back in 1971, freshly ordained to the priesthood, Rohr establishes this intentional community in Cincinnati dedicated to living in working-class neighborhoods, selling one's possessions, and and serving the poor. I mean, this was social activism in the name of Jesus, taking a page right out of Mark chapter 1 and committing to do what Jesus did, busy going about doing lots of good, and it almost destroyed him. Because an active outer life without a contemplative inner life runs out of steam every time, leaving you frazzled and empty with nothing to give. Because you cannot give people what you do not have. You, you cannot bless others if your soul is tired and, and withering away. And so, In 1987, Richard Rohr moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he founded the Center for Action and Contemplation, an organization that seeks to integrate both the active outer life as well as the contemplative inner life, because the two are meant to work together. In fact, Richard Rohr likes to say that the most important word in the center's name is neither action nor contemplation. It's the word and, the center for action and contemplation. They have to go together. And that, my friends, is what is different about the life of Jesus, this word and. That in the midst of all his busyness and all of his outer activity, and there was so much of it, he has never hurried because of the and in his life. For he is constantly nurturing an inner life with God that allows him to to get this, to relax and rest and be still even as things are busy. That in the midst of all the demands that are placed upon him, Jesus never allows those demands to keep him from attending to his inner life with God. For early in the morning, while it was still very dark, the text says... After a long and busy day of active service, Jesus gets up and goes out to a deserted place. And there he prays. This is a picture of the and way of life. Here we are early in the Gospel of Mark, and already this is the third mention of Jesus doing this. Attending to his inner life with God. We see this first at his baptism as Jesus hears a voice from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. What what, what a powerful and personal encounter this was for for Jesus with his heavenly father. You would think that after such an event, Jesus would would hit the ground running. It's time to, to get to work. It's time to get busy doing good things of God's kingdom. But no. The text says that the spirit immediately drives Jesus out to a deserted place where he spends 40 days praying and fasting before his ministry even begins. 40 days of inner work nurturing his life with God. Then and only then is he ready to get busy. Moving from one encounter to the next and then to the next and the next. A full day of kingdom work. Can you imagine how exhausted Jesus must have been at the end of this busy day? As the whole city, the text says, is pressing against the door. I mean, can you see Jesus finally calling it a night and getting some much needed sleep? And then that's when we are told, here at the end of Mark chapter 1, that Jesus gets up early in the morning and returns once again to his primary duty, turning his inward gaze toward the love of the Father. This is the and way of life, action and contemplation. My friends, this is where we go wrong so often. Not so much with the busyness of our outside lives, but rather with the fact that we allow this busyness to keep us from our primary duty as Christians, the primary duty of receiving from our Lord. Did you catch that? Your primary duty is to receive from God to stop and be still and know that god is present that he is working for your good and that he loves you beyond your wildest imagination and to receive this love over and over again so that you are able to rest in it even when things are busy this is the and way of life Because the Christian life is not running yourself ragged as an advocate for social and political change. No, that will only destroy your soul. And neither is the Christian life a constant wrangling over this or that doctrinal position, making sure that you have all your theological ducks in a row. No, that, my friends, will wither your spirit away. And neither is the Christian life a project for behavior management, obsessing over doing the right thing and avoiding the wrong. If that's your mindset, your life with God will grow tired and shrivel up. No, my friends, the Christian life is a way of life. It's life with God immersed in the Father's love, enraptured by the person of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God, giving yourself over and over again to his presence in your life so that your life might be given for the life of the world. This is the and way of life. And Jesus, by the way, isn't the only model of this kind of life in our passage today. If you look closely, you will find another quite surprising and inconspicuous example. I'm talking about Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Not sure if I've ever heard anyone hold up Peter's mother-in-law as an example of action and contemplation, but it's there. Because like us, she's lying in bed, sick and suffering, unable to be, unable to serve or be of any help to those around her. When we first meet her, She is a picture of a tired and withered soul. But then she encounters Jesus, who lifts her up, the text says, which happens to be the same word used for resurrection. Jesus raises her up to a new way of life so that now she is able to give of herself in service. Looky here, the church's first deacon A beautiful combination of a Mary and a Martha. Healed and transformed by an encounter with Jesus, she now gets busy serving others. It's amazing that Peter's house, run by his mother-in-law, becomes a household of God, right? A, A foretaste of the church. A place for people to gather, which they're doing in this text. It's a place for people to gather to encounter Jesus to have their own souls restored and renewed so that they too might be enabled to go forth and serve the world. That's the and way of life. You might not realize this, but this back and forth movement, this active and contemplative life, we experience this every Sunday in our liturgy. We experience the word and when we first gather together to receive from God. Right, that's what we're doing today. We were receiving from God. We were being refreshed. We are encountering God in word and sacrament. Each Sunday, we gather to share in God's life. This is our contemplative move, if you will. And then, at the end of our service, after receiving from God, we are then sent out to give to others, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to partner with God for the life of the world this is our active move i mean this is why our weekly sunday rhythms of gathering and sending gathering and sinning are so crucial and inherent to who we are as the people of god i mean my, this is this is core it allows us to experience the word and at a corporate level and yet as important as this is jesus teaches us That these every Sunday rhythms must be further matched by our own everyday rhythms. That our faith isn't just a weekly back and forth, it's a daily back and forth. So that each day we must withdraw and go forth, withdraw and go forth, just as we see in the life of Jesus. We must, as individuals, embrace the word and each and every day what then does this look like for you how are you embracing the word and in the busyness of your daily life well <clears throat> if you're like most Christians this is when you sheepishly look down at the floor and do your best to stave off that on, up, uh, upcoming feeling of guilt Well, yeah, I know I should be praying more than I do. I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But my friends, this is not at all where you need to go. This isn't about guilt. It's about God's invitation to find pasture, to be led beside still waters, to find rest for your soul. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest for your souls, Jesus says take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light what is he talking about what is this yoke of his he's asking us to bear my friends it's nothing other than his way of life the and way of life it's not it's not meant to be ridden with guilt it's not meant to be harsh and demanding No, it's a way of life that allows us to be at peace even through the trials and frustrations and heaviness that fill our days. Because our souls have learned to rest in the goodness of God. Because daily we withdraw to kneel under the gaze of a loving father. And that is enough. Perhaps then, the next time you're catching up with a friend over a warm cup of coffee, Perhaps you can change the question. Instead of asking, how are you? To which so many of us answer, busy. Perhaps we can ask, how is your soul? Is it at rest? Is it finding time to be still and soak up the love of God? I mean, that's a much better question for all of us to ponder. So how is your and life with God? How are you integrating both your busy, active life and your contemplative inner life? That, my friends, is where God is found. That is the Christian life. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be our strength. By the might of your Spirit, lift us, we pray, into your presence where we may be still and know that you are God.